0: Welcome to Awaken Podcasts. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All righty, all right, you crazy hooligans! Uh, go ahead and find your seats, if you would, please. I hope you're ready for this, because I'm ready, like a prize fighter. Ah, uh-uh. I've been off for a week. I was, uh, last week I was in the Boundary Waters paddling around, breaking things, throwing things, lighting stuff on fire, cutting things down, all the things you do in the Boundary Waters. What we did not do, I didn't catch a single, as we referred to them, water animal the entire trip. I don't go to the Boundary Waters to paddle. Some people do. I go there because I like to fish. So on the one hand it was a little disappointing, but we had a lot of fun. There was a lot of backwoods coob played. Do you guys know coob? Next week at tailgating, I will have my cube set out. Anyone that would like to play, I'll teach you, or if you'd like to teach me a few things, I'm a learner. Um, So that'll be fun. Uh, One update before we jump in. Some of you know we're planting a church. That's happening. Uh, June 1st was kind of a date that that we talked about. And if you're wondering, like, what's changing, I'll say for just a moment, not much... For the next season, uh, the, the church plant team is entering phase two of planting in the covenant process. That means that for June, July, and August, they'll have once a month preview worship gatherings. Uh, and They'll continue to build their launch team and gather some people uh, together for different events. Um, I was left these lovely little posters and postcards, so if you want to know what's happening with the church plant, uh, that's there. But June, July, and August, the last weekend in each of those months will be their preview services. And then in September, we'll have a commissioning service on the 17th here, uh, both hours, and we'll send them out, and then the next week, they'll begin weekly worship uh, at the new Awaken East Parish. (laughs) Can you believe I just said that? It's crazy. So we're excited about that. Uh, Their little team is like over 80 people with kids and all humans included, so that is fantastic. Very excited about it. Um, welcome to you. If you're new to Awaken, I'm so glad you're here. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 4. We're in a series called Enter. This is week 4 of 5 before we move to our summer series, which is called Lost in Translation, where uh, we basically try to tackle the hardest passages that we can find in the Bible and see if we can't make any sense of them. So it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a, you know, throw down the gauntlet challenge to the pastor, which I always, uh, I love a good challenge, so... I've already got a few tricks up my sleeve for this series, so I'm looking forward to that. This series, though, enter, it began with a question, and the question was, if you could experience as real more and more of God's presence in your daily life, would you want that? And assuming that the answer is at least in some way, shape, and form positive, yes, I would, uh, we set out to sort of look at, is there a process by which we could engage, not a formula, I'm not interested in formulas, but a process that would help guide and aid and sort of, how do I experience God as real more and more in my own life? Um, so, we've been looking at this little diagram, and it begins with stopping. So a few weeks ago, we talked about Shabbat, Sabbath, stopping, actually intentionally, pausing, turning aside, t- turning our attention towards something other than ourselves uh, for a purpose. And that purpose is to then see as God sees, ourselves, the world, our neighbors, our work, our kids, see as God sees. And then hear in God's voice. Jenna talked about this last week. Um, The word obey in this passage in Deuteronomy that uh, Jenna preached about is actually translated better. To hear in God's voice. What would that mean? To begin to learn how to do that. So that we can recognize. That's what we're going to talk about today. So Exodus chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to stand. And uh, I will invite you to read along or follow along, I should say. We'll begin in verse 1. The writer says this Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, his, reached out and took hold of the snake. And it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Pray with me. God, as we uh, take some time to enter this story in your word, uh, I begin with gratitude. Thank you for your scriptures, for... uh, For the character of them, the the way that they speak, and the way that you continue to show yourself to us through them. Uh, So God, may it be true again today, as we look at this story, speak to us. Holy Spirit, we trust you, that you are our, our guide, that you guide to truth, and so we entrust ourselves to you for this time. I pray in the strong name of Christ and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. One caveat before I jump into this passage this morning. Often, when you read the Bible, the question you begin with is, What did it mean to the people who wrote it first? Right? This book was written hundreds, thousands, uh, in some cases, a thousand years ago. And so it's old, and it's written by lots of different people, and there's lots of culture between us and them. There's language between us and them. There's all kinds of assumptions they had that we don't have. And so, to begin with the question, What did it mean to the people who heard it first? is a worthwhile endeavor. It's, it's a great question if you're studying the Bible at all to begin with. To the people who heard this first, what did it mean? and What, did, what, was, try, what, was, what was said and what was trying to be said? Now, while that is one great way to read the Bible, it's actually not what we're going to do today. I'm going to try and do something very different than that. Uh, if, in fact, this, this book is alive and breathing and active and sharper than a double-edged sword as it claims to be, if God is using it to reveal again today, a new and fresh and living word, then we're going to do less, what did it mean to the original people who read it, and more, what is, what's the Spirit doing here in this room with you and me in this text, okay? So I'm going to jump the gun, if any of you might, you could absolutely critique me and say like, Micah, that had nothing to do with any of the things that were going on in Egypt, and why the snake become, the staff becomes a snake. Totally get it, you're absolutely right. I'm just not going to do that today. So before you send that email... There you go, okay? What we're going to do is something different, all right? We're going to look at what's the Spirit doing here, right now, for us, in this moment, with this text, which we believe to be something qualitatively different than other texts, right? And how is God speaking to this church, to you and me, right here, right now? On the topic of recognizing. And I think it has a lot to say in that conversation. So, I'll start with, if we're going to stop... So that we can see as God sees, begin to see as God sees, and hear in God's voice, and then begin to recognize something, what are we trying to recognize? What is it that we're trying to do, or what, is, what are we recognizing in this process of entering into a, a moment and experience with God? So that's what we're after. Um, first and foremost, I would say, uh, who you are and what you bring who you are and what you bring. So this is a story about Moses, Exodus chapter 4. He has, uh, he's stopped at the burning bush, right? He's killed the Egyptian, he's left, he's fled, the prince of Egypt has gone. Uh, He's wandered in the desert in the wilderness as a shepherd for 40 years and he finds himself at this bush and it begins to speak. And an angel of the Lord speaks and then Moses turns aside and the, the voice of the Lord says, Moses, right? And he says, here I am, Hineni. So that's kind of where we are and then Moses has these, these sort of like objections to the, the call that he's been given to go to Pharaoh and ask to get the people out. So that's where we are in the context. And I want to suggest that when we're talking about recognizing what God is doing or what God is saying, what God is inviting us to, the first part is who you are and what you bring is essential to that process. So let's start with who, we, who you are. Uh, the scriptures make the case that you... As an individual, like, you are a masterpiece. You are uh, uh, not an accidental um, happening in the universe, but you are the, the product of the creative energies of the divine, this being we call God. Uh, maybe said differently, you're a unique expression of God's creative energy. You are this beautiful interplay between like, the, the, the Trinitarian relationship we call Father, Son, and Spirit and these free moral agents in the world, also known as your parents. And, your grand, and their, their parents and their parents and so on and so forth, right? Like, you as an individual, me, standing here before you today. This cocktail of God's presence and the Spirit of God and God's essence and these free moral agents in the world known as my mom and my, fa- my, mom and my dad. And the same is true of you. You don't arrive in a vacuum. You are a storied individual with a name that we address you by and an essence or a true identity that is, that is inseparable from the space you occupy in the universe. Said differently, like, your story and who you are at this moment here matters. When we talk about recognizing what God's inviting us to and hearing God's voice and seeing what God sees, who you are is not insignificant. I would say it matters a great deal. There's this terrible idea in Christian theology that I have often found that minimizes the awareness of self, right, or work on an inner journey, because you're a worm and you're a wretched sinner and if we can get rid of most of you and just replace you with Jesus, then all is well. Right? Have you found this before in Christian theology? Okay? I'm going to go ahead and go on record and say that that's probably not a wise thing to do. I want to encourage you to think about if you want to know who God is and what God is inviting you to do, that who you are matters a great deal. And so the people that have invested or not invested, who have been present or who were not present, the wounds, the, the joys, the, the highs, the lows, it all, as Richard Rohr would say, everything belongs. And as you stand here this morning, you are not some sort of abstract person connected to nothing. You have a history and you have a story. I want to I suggest that this passage... Moses in Exodus four, it's not a stretch to say that this is an exploration about name and identity. I mean Moses's name. do you remember this? Moses' mother like uh, sends him out into the water and he's found by the Pharaoh's daughter. But when she does that, she names him Moses, and in Hebrew, it looks like this, and it, his name literally means to draw to draw forth from so in Exodus, I think it's two uh, it says. He became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So Moses' name literally is connected to who he is and who he will become. Those of us who have the the, uh, benefit of reading the story backwards, we know that Moses becomes the leader of the Exodus, the liberator of God's people, who draws them out of Egypt and through the waters, parting the waters of the Red Sea, into freedom. And, well, eventually freedom, first wandering for 40 years in the desert, but then freedom. His name literally means to draw forth. So I think I'm on solid ground saying that this story is at least, if nothing else, I think it's a lot more, but it's an exploration about, who are you? So God's question to Moses has a lot of layers. Literally, like, what's in your hand, but who are you? Right? Moses' life before this, 40 years, he's been wandering around in the desert As a shepherd. And if you were to pick one symbol of what it means to be a shepherd, arguably, I think, again, I'm on safe ground saying that you'd probably pick a staff, a shepherd's staff. So what's most true about Moses' identity and name and vocation in life at that moment, God says, what's in your hand? Maybe you could also say, what's your name? Who are you? I've spent a lot of my time in life Uh, and some would argue I'm still doing so, trying to figure out, like, the core, the essence of who I am. What's your name? And I would maybe ask you that question this morning. Do you know who you are? Like, do you know where you come from? Was it uh, Springsteen or Mellencamp? I cannot forget the people I come from and the people who love me. Wasn't that one of those guys? Never mind. Do you know who you are? Do you know... The people and the events and the moments along the way that have shaped you to make you the person that stands, sits with us this morning. I would argue this is why inner work and a a journey inward is so absolutely vital and important. People who want to mature in faith cannot do so if you don't do your own work. And so to say, like, let's just do away with self and just do Jesus, it's kind of missing really, parts of the puzzle that are really important. Because then you get people who are emotionally and spiritually unaware who end up leading churches and schools and businesses and countries, and it's no wonder that it all goes crazy cuckoo, right? I, I would encourage any one of you, every one of you, if you're serious about faith and serious about maturing in your faith, get a counselor. Get a spiritual director and do some of your own work about who you are and why you are the way you are. Why do you respond the way you do in certain situations? It's not random. There are reasons for it. So for me, part of my story and journey, I have this classic notorious leaving. So if any of you have ever been in a social situation with me, (laughs) people would say like, well, the Withams are gone. Like literally they have left. Like we would be eating dinner and I'm like, all right, we're out. And I'm just, like, leave. Like, Minnesota goodbye, I hate them. They're just awful. They're the worst. If you say goodbye, you don't need to say it again. Right? Like, I get it. You're leaving. Thank you. You don't need to keep saying it. Well, somebody pointed out to me at one point, like, Micah, when, when you're in, a, like, a social se- setting, it's like, when you're ready to go, you just leave. And as I started to think about that and process that with my spiritual director, um. I kind of had to learn how to leave really quickly to protect myself as a kid. Which is totally connected to my story and my journey and my family and everything I learned from my parents, good and bad. And as I explored that, it was like, I don't want to be that person. I I don't want to be the person who just shuts off when they're done. Who becomes unavailable. That's part of spiritual maturity. It's part of maturing as a human being, but also... Spiritual maturity. So, do you know who you are? Do the work. There's all kinds of resources. We're trying to provide them at Awaken, but also, I can put you in touch with a number of people. Somebody came up to me after first hour. They're like, I don't even know where to begin. Great. Let's talk. Do you know who you are? And secondly, do you know what you bring? You do not arrive without resources in your hands. You may think you have nothing to offer, that you don't make enough money, you don't have a home to give away, you don't have, you think, you have nothing in your hands. And I would submit to you, every single one of us has resources in our hands right here, right now. It may be wounds and scars and knowledge that you gain from that and those things and those processes or those those memories. It may be that you love gardening. It may be that you have one morning a week that you could offer to someone. It may mean that you're a poet or a writer or an accountant or a painter or a sculptor or... Who knows, right? You may just have this incredible gift to make boatloads of money. The kingdom needs resources, you know. You may have a great lake cabin or a vacation home to offer to someone who might take you up on that. <laughs> I once had this pastor who's like Micah, this Justin, ownership means nothing, access means everything. We'll probably podcast the second hour. Um, but seriously, you have resources in your hands. And don't underestimate the small things. You may think what you have is piddly and it doesn't matter. And gang, every, we know this to be true. Like every Hollywood movie, uh, The Widow's Mite, The Fish and the Loaves, right? Rudy, the movie. The small things matter. And they can be used. And, and we've, we've seen this where somebody offers something small and it changes a community, a town, a school, a business. So what is it? What do you have? What's the small thing in your hand? Do you know who you are and do you know what you bring? Right? Now, secondly, I would say, as we further explore the story of Moses, um, will you then entrust it to God and know who it's for? And this one is great for Americans. Just fantastic. Part of who I am and what I bring, I withheld from God for a really long time, uh, largely as an act of comparison because I wanted something that other people I saw my friends getting that I didn't get, and anger. I was just really mad about it, to be honest. And it wasn't until I actually offered it to God in an act of faith and vulnerability to say, I'm entrusting this to you, that it, only then did it become a gift and something that bore fruit in the world. Did you notice, in this passage, in verse 3, God asks Moses to take that which is most connected to his name and identity and put it down. If he's a shepherd, and this is a symbol of his essence and livelihood and his vocation, God says, put it down. I'm curious if, if you were asked this morning, the thing that you believe to be the most true about you your calling, your vocation, uh, your identity, an artist, a creator, a mother, a father, a business person. Would you be willing to offer that, to like, to lay it down? Entrust it to God, not knowing the outcome of that. This is a vulnerable spot Moses is in, right? Put it down. Will you entrust that which is most true about you to the one, I would argue, who blessed you with it? Who gave it to you? And what's... I just think this is so ironic. Moses takes the staff, God invites him to put it down, and it becomes a snake. (laughs) If you didn't know, the snake in the scriptures is a symbol of, like, sin, destruction, evil, power, manipulation... So like, bad day for Mo, right? That which is most true of you, you set it down and it becomes a symbol of destruction and evil and sin. Yikes. It's as if that which is most essential to you can be your greatest gift and also your worst enemy, depending on how you hold it. I'm going to say that again. It's as if that which is most true about you can be your greatest gift to the world, And also, the worst enemy, depending on how you hold it. And it's fascinating, God says, pick it up. By the what? By the tail. Everybody knows, thanks to Crocodile Hunter, that that is not a good idea. Right? You get it behind the head. You you sneak up behind it and you pinch it to the ground so that it can't bite you and kill you. But God says, pick it up by the tail. Right? Like, can you just, like, if we're doing Midrash, which is kind of like telling the story between the lines, you know, we're making this up as we go, like, can you imagine that? Moses is like, you're crazy! That's a poisonous snake! And God says, just pick it up by the tail. I'm telling you, pick it up by... Do you know that nobody does that? Like, everybody knows that if I do that, I would look like a total idiot. Just pick it up by the tail, I'm telling you! Do you trust me? Do you guys remember the trust fall? Like, youth group, junior high? You know, like you get a bunch of kids and one person stands up here on this little thing. I'm not gonna do this, but stands up here and you get six junior hires behind you and they like link arms and, and then they create this thing and you like a timber like Timber, don't don't do this. Not cool. If you if you hinge at the butt, you're gonna go straight through one of those holes. Don't do that if you ever do this exercise. Straight as a board, they'll catch you. Do you trust them? I want to explore the possibility that what we have here is a moment in Scripture where God is basically just saying to Moses, Moses, do you trust me? Is God good? Does God actually look like reflect Jesus? Or is God a tyrant on a throne with a lightning bolt waiting to smite you? Is God the the author of all of the horrible things that have happened in your life for some plan that you don't know? Or is God as good, as beautiful, as lovely, as true, as wonderfully welcoming as this person that we find in Jesus? Do you trust me? Will you entrust this gift, whatever is in your hands, to God for a specific purpose? And America, listen up. In verse 5 it says, this, the staff snake, staff, is so that they may believe in the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You are not the point of the story. I am not the end of all of my hopes and dreams and desires. When it turns in on me, and I'm the last link in the chain, which is to say, like, I actually exist for myself and not for others, it's all off. And so much of who we are in our culture says that you are. You're the end and it's for you and it's about you and your dreams, your hopes, your desires. They're actually number one. The scripture argues a different point. That you were actually made for a relationship with others. And so Moses' greatest gift, God says, it's not actually for you, it's for the world. It's for blessing. It's for love. It's for others. The whole thing begins in Genesis 12. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. So your greatest gift, the thing that you have in your hands, it's actually... It doesn't serve you, which is totally backwards in our culture. It serves the world. It serves others. It serves your neighbor. It serves the least of these. It serves those who don't have homes and those who don't have places to rest their heads. It serves the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. Blessed are those, Jesus says. Come on, Preacher Micah. If we can get that through our heads, oh, man, what we're after, what we long for, joy, fulfillment, like purpose in life, it actually comes through that route, not this route. Jesus says it the whole time. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The scriptures are screaming it. So will you entrust the essence of who you are and the gift that you bring to God for the purpose of this great grand story that we find ourselves in the midst of? This, my friends, is the making of a really good movie. We would just call it life, and Jesus would call it the kingdom. So who wants in on that? I'm going to invite my friend Crystal to come, and she's going to share, um, because I, wanna, I, I want like an actual example of what we're talking about with skin on, um, like a real person. So this is Crystal, everybody. Welcome. Is that thing on? What in the Hello. world? There we go. Crystal, as you look back on your life, um, so you and Andy, you're involved in this uh, refugee uh, ministry-giving situation, this little caper. As you look back on your life and, like, who you, all the things that have led you here, are there things that, you, that connect to what you're doing now?
1: Um, this was a really good question for me to think about over the last week. I got the question in advance, thankfully. Um, where we're at right now, in case you don't know, is we, two years ago, bought a condemned house for a refugee family, and we renovated it with many of you, and rent it to them for an affordable rate, and then we also have a young man who's a refugee living in our basement.
0: This is the Bacon House, by the way. Bacon House. In case you've ever heard that. It's on the
1: corner of Bacon Avenue and Bacon Court, which is why it's Bacon House.
0: But great. What
1: a great spot. So yeah, so I was looking back. It's like, how do we end up here? And Andy and I have been married for 13 years. And at our wedding, um, we had, I was obsessed with Fernando Ortega's Prayer for Home. And we picked that as our wedding song. And it wasn't just like, I like the music. It was like, I felt the words as a deep prayer um, and hope for what our lives would turn into. And some of the lines are like, you know, may it be a refuge, may it be a harbor. Um, It talks about being a place where like, wounded hearts come um, and are made light and burdens are set down. And so we just kind of like held that song in our hearts for a lot of years. And um, let's see here, and then maybe nine years ago, my friend Molly, who's a school counselor in St. Paul, she was telling me about a family that she knew of in St. Paul that would buy houses for refugees and renovate them and um, rent them to refugees and mentor them and befriend them and just kind of show them the way. And Andy and I were like, we should totally do that when we're retired. <laughs> and then maybe. Eight. So you
0: didn't think like when we have four kids. No. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> we have well, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, then Tom Alvinson, who goes here now, he was at our previous church, and he was telling us about refugees, and he would have pictures up on the screen about Zuleika refugee camp. And we'd be praying for Pastor Joshua, and I just had never really thought about refugees before that. Um, so we were praying for these families, and he did a good job of connecting us. And then six years ago, we decided to renovate our basement and make it, it have like a side entrance. And Andy was like, let's just have it be a place where people can come if they need a place to be. And we've had maybe six different people over the years stay with us from time to time. And then, three and a half years ago, one of the families that we were praying for in Zuleika, um, Joshua Kabazi, Pastor Joshua and his family, they came to the U.S. And Tim and Susan got really involved with them and just like fell in love with this family. And we're with them all the time, doing meals together, teaching them to drive, um, and we just kind of watched and thought that is a friendship that we would like to be part of if we could. And Susan one day said, can you pray for a better house for the Cabezi family? They have a lot of kids. They're in this tiny apartment. It's not in a good neighborhood. They don't feel very safe. The landlord is taking advantage of them. And so we decided to pray. And we also were looking for rentals for them. And we thought, this is, like, housing is so expensive in the Twin Cities. Um, and a friend one day was, like, joking with us. He was frustrated trying to get rid of his house. And he was like, do you want to buy my house? And we're like, well... Maybe we should. Um, that one didn't work out, but we started praying for a four bedroom house by a park, by a bus stop, close to the Kephards, close to us, that was affordable. And a woman called Andy at his law office and said, I have a house I need to get rid of. Do you believe in God? Um, <laughs> and what do you know? It was four bedrooms, and it was by a park, and it was two miles from the Kephards, and four from us, by a bus stop, by an Aldi, by the government center, I and mean, he was like, perfect. And um, we, we bought it, it was condemned, so that was the unfortunate part. But it then became this place for the Kabazis, and it was um, you know, a, a beautiful, safe place. And then um, in September this year, I started praying for someone to come live with us again. I just had that sense that it was time. And then in January, my friend Molly called and said, I have a senior in high school who's a refugee and he does not have um, a place that is a good fit for him right now. Can he come live with you? And when we've had people live with us, um, our hope has generally been that they become part of our family, that they act in that way. And so we met this young man named Innocent to see if it would be a fit. In my mind, I hadn't considered like 19-year-old boy. I just pictured like maybe like a 30-year-old woman. Um, so, <laughs> so he came and he has like this warm smile and um, he hugged us and said, if I live here, I want to be part of your family. And so we said, yeah.
0: There it is. Um, is there, uh, if this is part of who you are, uh, what are the unique resources that you guys have found in your hands uh, that you can put towards this?
1: Um, <clears throat> so, buying a condemned house, if maybe some of you have done it, is a messy job. Um, but Andy had had a lot of practice with some home renovation skills, starting with when he was eight. Um, he was throwing rocks at cars and had to pay for the for the taillights that he broke and so he got his first job pulling weeds for fred Seitzma. Um fred was a retired contractor and taught andy how to do all these different things as and andy stayed with him for many years it did not take 17 years to pay for those um <laughs> tail lights but andy worked with him for many many years. kids this is not an <laughs>
0: endorsement to throw car- rocks and cars either. So,
1: But parents, it is an encouragement that even the, the low points can become redeemed. Um, so Andy learned so many things from Fred and then like he would work on our house and he worked on the Kephart's house and just like practiced all these skills. So when it came time to buy a condemned house, he was like, oh yeah, I can handle the plumbing, I can handle refinishing the wood floors, I can handle the drywall. So we just felt prepared in that. Um, As far as my uh, preparedness went and the gifts that I think God has given me, when I was 19, I lost my dad to suicide. And um, that obviously was a very painful and hard thing. And that's when I learned to enter into my own pain and how to walk with other people in their pain. Um, I had a number of friends who lost people um, shortly, uh, around the time that I did. And so I just learned how to walk with people in their stories and to see their needs. And so I think together we were able to provide... Um, both a physical and emotional safe place for people. And we have a really fantastic community around us that has helped support us in this endeavor.
0: Uh, What encouragement would you give to this community on this topic of recognizing once you've stopped to see and hear?
1: Um, So probably one of the more common comments that we get when people hear um, what it is that we're doing is, like, you guys are so great, I could never do that, now I feel like a terrible person. Um, <laughs> that is not the point. Um, and I'm going to read a little piece here from Madeline Um, This is from her book, Walking on Water. And she's going to talk about feeding the lake. And she's talking about writing, but I am going to explain how I see this working out um, in connection to our stories. She writes, if the work comes to the artist and says, Here I am, serve me, then the job of the artist, great or small, is to serve. The amount of the artist's talent is not what it is about. Jean Rees said in an interview in the Paris Review, listen to me, all of writing is a huge lake. There are great rivers that feed the lake, like Tolstoy and Dostoevsky, And there are mere trickles, like Jean Rees. All that matters is feeding the lake. To feed the lake is to serve, to be a servant. Servant is another unpopular word, a word we have derided by denigrating servants and service. To serve should be a privilege, and it is to our shame that we think of it as a burden, something to do if you're not fit for anything better or higher. I have never served a work as it ought to be served. My little trickle hardly adds a drop of water to the lake, and yet it doesn't matter. There is no trickle too small. And... The way I see this connecting, for me, the lake, I think most of us won't write a book in our lives, um, but I, we're all invited to be part of the kingdom of God. And for me, that, that great lake is the kingdom of God. And we are all called to serve that in some way. And so for us right now, um, it looks like providing safe places for those in need. Um, and for you, it might look very different, but as Madeline Engel says, all that matters is, is feeding that lake. Um, there are times where it's really hard work, too. And, um, but there are times where you see that, that kingdom of heaven break through. And it makes it all worth it. When my daughter was three, she was riding in the car. And she said, Mom, sometimes people think that heaven is so far away. But it's not. It's all around us. And as we have done this work and have entered into it um, and have fed that lake of God's kingdom... I have seen heaven break through Um, in moments like when this young man, innocent, is in our kitchen and I'm making him tea and a protein smoothie and he's holding my 10-month-old and he has a mango seed in his hand and he's feeding my little one bits of mango off the seed and singing to him in Swahili and it's very beautiful.
0: So I want to invite you to uh, <clears throat> a time of silence uh, and response let me offer a word of prayer and uh, do that God as we take a moment this morning and pause, and stop uh, we do so with the great hope that we might see you and hear you and recognize who we are and what we have that we might uh, invest it in, cast it towards the great lake of your kingdom and your work in the world so speak to us now I pray. I want to invite you to stand as we close. Receive this benediction, this blessing. Um, my hope and prayer that you would leave today with is that you would resist the temptation to compare what you have in your hands to what somebody else has in their hands. It's a waste of time. It doesn't lead to anything good. So, trust what you have to God's care and give it away for the blessing of the world so receive this the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said amen blessings on you see you next week find us online at www.awakencommunity.com, or on facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awaken community or on twitter at awakening community see you next time